In late February of 2022, Putin shocked the world by invading its neighbor, Ukraine. We reflect on this conflict and examine it from a pastor's perspective. Welcome to The Unapologetic Show with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist and co-host of the Pastor's Perspective Show on K-Wave. My name is Tim. I'm your host. Bobby, let's dive in. So, man, we are in the middle of kind of this giant conflict right now, and we really need some guidance. So hopefully we can give some guidance to the church and people that are just kind of wondering what's going on. What, what was something that surprised you about Russia's invasion of Ukraine? I think there are a number of things as I've reflected on this war that we're now watching over the last few weeks. Uh, one thing in particular is how you know derailed the Ukrainians were in the fact that they weren't expecting this to happen, right? Uh, you know, a lot of them weren't. You know, they just thought, "Oh, this is Putin doing his threats," and yeah. then he comes in. And he does it, and man, it's like, wow, it's game on. Uh, it was shocking because the last time I remember seeing images like this was, you know, back when I was in high school. And, you know, 1990, 91, when you had the war with Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Uh, and it just brought back those memories. And it just blows me away to think uh, that we're experiencing this and to see how close we are to being potentially uh, in World War III. I don't think uh, we're as far off uh, from this as yeah. we could have realized. And, you know, the other thing, too, is like I was saying to my wife maybe a few weeks before, just saying, man, the, our culture is really jacked up right now. I mean, <laughs> things have changed, things have yeah. deteriorated. And then well, let's throw a war in the middle of this now. I mean, it's just incredible when you think about what uh, we've been through on our own uh, landscape here in America. Uh, but I think the thing that's been really, uh, you know, impressive to watch is the Ukrainian spirit and to see how they've been able to show much more endurance. And that's been something that, um, you know, nobody suspected either. Yeah. They, you know, like, boy, we thought this is going to be a short, quick war and we've seen their resolve. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's interesting. So one of the other questions that we have is there's definitely a battle of worldviews going sure. on. So let's talk a little bit about the... What, what we can learn from the various different perspectives of these different worldviews that are happening in this conflict right now. What's your observations there? So uh, for our listeners, uh, this will be a little bit of moral philosophy. Yeah. But <clears throat> what happens is, like I, I once taught a course um, at the Bible College at Calvary Chapel in Murrieta called Jesus and the Moral Philosophers. Mm. And what I did with that is I looked at various moral philosophers throughout history. And my guiding question that I wanted them to consider is, what would the world look like if you were to take any one of these various moral philosophers, Machiavelli, uh, Nietzsche, uh, you know, Augustine, any of them, right? Yeah. And overlay it on every human being on the planet. What kind of a world would we have? Yeah. And then it allowed me to provide a fruitful consideration yeah. of, well, what if we overlaid uh, the Jesus ethic over all of humanity? How yeah. would our world be different? Well, when you are in moral philosophy courses and you're taking uh, classes, uh, we morality is not just cut and dry. I mean, when it comes to things like morality, uh, some would say morality is not objective. Others would say 
that it is. Some would say that there is no God that exists, therefore it is subjective. Some would say, well, God doesn't need to exist for morality to be objective. Uh, Then you can even come to different belief systems, right? You have Christianity, Islam, uh, Hinduism. How do we account for morality? Mm. How do we account for the atrocities and the injustices that we see? How do we understand uh, our viewpoint as it relates to war? Well, as I've been thinking about what we're seeing here, you have a little bit of this. Putin is kind of like your Machiavellian. Okay. And if anybody's ever read Machiavelli's The Prince, it's a short, riveting read. And basically, the advice of Machiavelli, Machiavelli to the prince was might uh, makes right. Mm. Use whatever means necessary to retain power. So a Machiavellian ethic if you're influenced by that, um, power is your ultimate. It's your summum bonum. It's the greatest good. And it doesn't mean you can't be a nice person, but it means that you can lie, you can cheat, you can do whatever you want. So you see Putin operating like a Machiavellian. Um, For example, uh, agreeing to cease fire. And then, wait, we blow up, you know... Um, A hospital with uh, children in it. Yeah, a a maternity hospital. So you end up seeing these types of things. Well, why is it? Because you can say whatever you want because your value is I got to hold on to power and I got to keep people guessing. And so a Machiavellian doesn't feel the need to play by the rules. And so trying to figure out Putin uh, by a Western world book uh, isn't going to work. Mm. You have to get inside the mindset of what kind of thinking he has as it relates to retaining power. So what is Putin's vision? Uh, What does he ultimately hope to accomplish? And so when we start hearing talks on the news about, oh, he's going to, you know, agree to this or agree to that, uh, we should hold that lightly. Yeah. Then you have... Over here, uh, you know, in America, uh, you know, you've got a lot of the world basically looking at, well, do we do we issue a no-fly zone? Uh, and people are like, well, that enters us into World War III. Yeah. Um, and so there's a utilitarian ethic at play. And utilitarianism is like, you know, Jeremy Bentham, uh, John Stuart Mill, uh, and they... They, they would talk about kind of like the maximum amount of benefits versus the, the least amount of consequences. Right. So what you see is a lot of weighing the consequences. Mm. And so there's a lot of utilitarian ethicists going on. Now, these people, uh, they might not realize they're Machiavellian or utilitarian, but what I'm saying is is this is why worldview matters and we need to understand. And so you can see some of this. Well, then you got the Ukrainians and I think desperation can can lead uh, you when you're on the side of having to defend to being a deontologist. Yeah. And this is a Kantian-based ethic, which is a duty-based ethic. Yeah. And they're like, man, you you have a duty, you know, close up the skies. Yeah. Uh, there's this duty to help and you can just see them pleading. So what you've got <clears throat> are these three conversations, right? You've got Machiavellians uh, saying what they're going to do and you've got uh, utilitarians trying to talk to deontologists and we're all speaking past each other. Right. And so I I think we step back and we go, well, what do we do with that? Because it's yeah. kind of interesting. So that's been my observation a little bit as I've viewed this war of, of what we got going on. Now, a couple thoughts, because I would say like duty, it, it, 
uh, duty based is you know you you have a right to do it. You yeah. like the, the danger of utilitarianism is you're always trying to do math, but that presumes we know the future. Yeah. That presumes we know exactly what Putin would do. So it's kind of like to be crass. It's like, it, it, it could feel like to the Ukrainians, we're throwing condoms at the woman getting raped. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's like, man, we, we have a duty to like do something. Yeah. And so, uh, but uh, you know, I, what you have happening, you know, like here in America in particular, and with NATO, you have people weighing out like, well, we just want to make sure. So then it provides questions is, is there any time to leverage some utilitarianism, even when we know we have a duty? Mm. So does the duty of deontology mean that we act immediately, or is there a reflective period to consider the consequences? And so this is where it can get kind of confusing too, because we might have a duty to act, but if you act so quickly, yeah. uh, you could cause more problems, but if you don't act, uh, you could cause more problems. Right. So this is where ethics gets really, really difficult. I think my big thought would just be, uh, we have to hold with such a grain of sand what, what Putin says. My fear is, let's say we do follow a utilitarian ethic, mm -hmm. right? We're gonna do what's gonna require resolve what we think in the least amount of consequences. Well, what would that mean? Well, not closing up the airspace. Well, what if what if the Ukrainians are right? What if Putin's going to Poland next? Yeah. And what if he goes here? Well, then uh, maybe we will see in history that, you know, we should have intervened sooner because he was telling us what he wanted to do. The Ukrainians were telling us what's going to happen. Uh, people that were associates of Putin are saying this is what he's going to do. And so maybe we tried to just, uh, you know, do what we thought was best, but we ignored this Machiavellian worldview. Yeah. And as a result, we've been weakened because we waited so long. Uh, and as a result, more people have died. Yeah. So there's no guarantee that not closing up uh, the, the airfield or whatever, if Putin continues on with what people are saying he's going to do, right. that this is going to turn out to be cheaper and less costly. Yeah. Well, and especially when it comes to, to lives, I think another part of the worldview that accounts for some of this is Putin's view about Kiev and, and that's being kind of the center of the Rus people and how yes. that goes back a thousand years. And so he's kind of seeing this as somewhat of this, you know, he doesn't really have a, a Christian worldview from what I understand. He's got kind of this mythological metaphysics. And so that plays into this Machiavellian worldview that you're talking about. And, you know, he's saying, man, if we could just reunite this, if we could just get back yeah. to kind of the Soviet, you know, union like this, the golden age or whatever uh, Russia was, that's kind of part of his thinking in some some sense. Uh, there was a recent poll that happened in Russia, and it was a significant amount of people, more than a majority, uh, viewed Stalin favorably. And that was kind of like, whoa. And so yeah. that kind of plays into some of this, like how much pressure, because you're right, if he gets into Ukraine, is Poland next? How far does he push those boundaries? So that's really interesting. And that leads me to, to ask the question, uh, how do you think that this plays into um, Russia being part of the end times and and the, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39? Do you think this invasion kind of points to uh, that being something that's significant? Are we in the end times here? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, your your point on the uh, about you know him feeling like you know he owns this land, um, you know, this is kind of the danger too, right? Yeah. With China, um, they're watching us. They have a desire to kind of take over Taiwan, mm -hmm. um, and you can imagine what the Ukrainians could feel like. Like, imagine if some leader emerged uh, in England and felt as if you know 
um, America was his. Yeah. Uh, because you know it was the Brits who came over to America and yeah. they assumed it and they were they 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 should have never uh, left. So right. now we're getting bombed because some person feels like this is his. Like yeah. how would you feel, right? So you can imagine what they're experiencing a little bit. And by the way, the, the other thing, Tim, and I'm going to get to your question, but it's amazing uh, how quick things get prioritized. We've had the luxury of sitting around talking about what's your preferred gender pronoun, (laughs) but when things start blowing up, it's amazing how all of a sudden that's not the biggest topic on the menu and that's not the most burning moral issue of our day of whether you you feel you identify as a he or a she or an it or a they or a them. Uh, Right now, uh, just human lives are at stake. So I would say, that uh, it's amazing how delusional people can get, and he's clearly delusional, and just power corrupts. I think um, as far as the end times, and what does this mean for us in relationship to Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, there is one uh, standpoint that does look at this, an eschatological standpoint that looks at Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we'll see that what you have is this battle of 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 Gog, right? Magog, and uh, you know you see like language of like Meshech, and some might say, "Oh, this is uh, Moscow and uh, Rus, Russia," mm-hmm. and it talks about how there'll be armies from the farthest north that's going to come down and you know basically barrage Israel. Um, and and so there are certain end time theorists that will say this is lining up right now. Like right. Pat Robertson jumped on the air and said, okay, here it comes. You know, we're in the end times. <laughs> yeah. I think we always have to be cautious of, of stating that. Number one, um, it's not 100% certain uh, that 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 Ross refers to Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, there there's some that would make it sound that way, but that, that's not agreed upon in the scholarly uh, world as it looks at the language there. So I would say uh, we have to be... Uh, you know, open to the fact that, well, could that happen uh, where, you know, this is just the first attempt. Ukraine's going to be assumed and then, you know, Poland and other places and then eventually Israel. But I don't think we we can know yet for certain. Uh, I think that there's some people, for example, that would say that that was already fulfilled, uh, that prophecy. Yeah. Um, others would say, no, it, it's not yet. Others would say it's not required to be Russia that mm. comes down from the north. While Russia's the furthest north, maybe the language that was being used um, was just kind of observatory language. It wasn't trying to be ultra literal. I mean, these are just some things that different people yeah. might throw out. For me, I think that if you saw, uh, you know, Russia continue to expand its empire and then eventually they're coming into Israel and you see these other forces, uh, you know, joining them in an alliance like Turkey, yeah. uh, you know, and Syria and all this stuff coming together, it'd be something to, you know, hey, maybe that is exactly right. But to go and say this is for sure mm. when there's so much controversy around it, that's where we have to be cautious. But it, I can say regardless of whether or not this is it, it and, and that's how Ezekiel 38 and 39 are going to play out, right. it does kind of have an end time feel right now. Like I can get a sense of like, wow, how people have felt at certain times in history past where they're wondering, boy, are we... Uh, in the eschaton. Yeah. Well, we're more in eschaton today than we were yesterday, but it it really does just feel like 
the world is completely falling apart uh, in, in so many ways. But then again, it's like I could see Tim that what if what if you end up. Um, you know, if the, here in America, for example, uh, what if certain things get prioritized? Like, right. what if what if people all of a sudden are okay with the Second Amendment mm. that we're against? You know, having a right to bear arms. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. What if what if people who are against building up the military all of a sudden are like, you know, it's, it's important to have a military. So I could see some things, uh, you know, being put in check as a result of this as well. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, I do want to talk about and ask you specifically about some good that can come out of this. But before we get to that, I'd like to just remind our listeners that we are a listener and viewer supported ministry, and we would love for you to uh, support this ministry. And one way you can do that is to jump on over to our YouTube channel on youtube.com slash one minute apologist, like this video, share it with your network and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, this is uh, available as an audio only podcast, so you can check it out on all of your your podcast players. And finally, one of the other ways that you can support this ministry is to uh, join our financial support team. And you can do that by heading on over to oneminuteapologist.com and click on donate in the upper right-hand corner. So we're going to get to, uh, do you see any good coming out of this conflict? What what good can we draw from this, (laughs) if any? I mean, I think that there is some good that can come out of a time like this. Um, you know, and fortunately, I think that when we consider where we are, some of the good that can happen is we can really start to maybe appreciate the cost of those who shed their blood in the past yeah. for our own land. Like sometimes we minimize that. We we lose sight of the great sacrifices. Like um, you know, here we are in, in America. There's been a lot of bloodshed in this land for freedoms that we experience that we forget about. Mm-hmm. And when we start sitting around and again, having the luxury to just think our greatest priority of today's world is what is our preferred gender pronoun as right. if every human being sitting around struggling with that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're devolving as a country. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, hopefully a value for um, human life, hopefully a value for our freedom and a greater appreciation, uh, hopefully a greater value for um, how our hope doesn't need to be in this world. Mm. But um, you know, I think about like, if I didn't have the, the Lord in my life, uh, how insecure you could be in times like this. Yeah. Uh, but as a Christian, you know, we don't have to be falling apart emotionally. Uh, we can be steadfast and trusting. I think uh, deepening our, our love just for one another, is yeah. for family, appreciating people. I think that the images that we see, as horrific as they are, um, it can make us more compassionate kind of people uh, as we think about the pain that people are in. I think that good that can come out of it, it can help us to pray more, to get out of our own self. Uh, you know, my uh, son-in-law was uh, being uh, in, the, in the car with the tow truck driver. He had to drop his car off and the mm-hmm. tow truck driver was taking him uh, on a drive uh, back to our house to drop him off. And, uh, you know, the tow truck driver said, you know, hey, at least I didn't wake up in Ukraine this morning. Yeah. And I think that it can put our pain in perspective to, to realize, wow, uh, you know, things are tough, but it can be tougher. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the good that can come out of this is kind of a, a, a return to realizing that there really is such a thing as good and evil. Yeah. Uh, you see 
the evil that has come out of a man like Putin. Yeah. Uh, and I think that just calling evil evil, we have been blurring the lines. We call evil good, good evil. Yeah. Uh, but I think another thing is is the the need for. Uh, our our hearts cry for justice. Mm. Uh, I think we can see this, like where people can just sit around and and not really recognize, like how oh, how could God, for example, not or how could God, for example, you know, punish the Canaanites? Right. Well, just picture a bunch of Putins, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, stomping on people. Uh, you you know, you see in moments like this where you want justice. The the culture that doesn't understand justice uh, doesn't understand evil yeah. and doesn't understand pain. But when you end up observing it like this, all of a sudden you realize that we're built to understand justice because right. we're created in God's image and God is a just God. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and going right along with that, I would say um, we're, we're seeing Putin's true colors, uh, the, the true evilness oh, of yeah. that. Um, what's something that, that specifically the church can learn from the bravery that you mentioned earlier of the Ukrainians? Well, I, I think it's just that, Tim. It's it's the bravery. Like, for example, we're being inspired mm. by a, a, a leader with spine and conviction. Yeah. And man, like, it, it's, it is attractive. Like, like, I, I hate the thought of us just looking weak as a church. Yeah. And I think that in a lot of ways, um, you know, there's something about when your life is on the line and your land is on the line that it brings out a boldness in us. And Zelensky has modeled this boldness. And I think, yeah. man, if Zelensky could be this bold for his land, and if Zelensky could be this bold for the lives of his people, how much more should we be bold for the church of Jesus Christ where Christ laid down his life? How much more should we be bold to share the gospel for non-believers to come to know Jesus mm. so that they can be spared a life, an eternity of separation from God? So I think that what we... Are, are recognizing is a world that's being inspired by courage, a world yeah. that's being inspired by boldness, where he's getting standing ovations from Congress and from NATO. Yeah. And I think that's that's what won the applause of the early church is that they were being persecuted. They were being spiritually bombed, mm -hmm. uh, spiritually nuked, and they were dying for their faith and people were staying strong in the midst of it. And that's where apologia, apologetics, yeah. ultimately let your life be an ap apologia, an apologetic. When people see how we suffer well, when we persecute it, but we still stay courageous. And I think that's like, that's where we look so weak as a church. We look the opposite of courageous, Tim. Yeah. We look weak because we're so worried about offending. And I think if there's anything that the church can receive right now is man, if these people can be so bold for their nation, how much more should we be willing to be bold for the Great Commission? Mm. And so let, let's end with this question. What would you say to those who want to help, but they feel just so hopeless right now? I mean, I can feel that. You, you sit there and you look at this world and you feel overwhelmed. And I would say, uh, you, you know, I, I, I really do think we can underestimate the power of prayer. We might not be able to measure our prayers being answered, yeah. but prayer makes us a certain kind of person. Even if we're praying and we go, man, it doesn't seem, and I, I'm praying that this won't happen. I'm praying Kiev won't get uh, you know, more bombarded and it does. And I'm praying that Odessa won't be taken over and say it does. Like these are all the things yeah. where we can 
keep praying because prayer makes us a compassionate kind of person. And I think that whether our prayers are answered or not, I want to stand before the Lord to know that I had enough compassion to ask the God who could do something about it to do something mm-hmm. about it. I, I want to I want to be able to know that when I'm limited that that I'm praying about it. So I think we can pray. I think we can stay informed. I think that there's you know opportunities for those who have resources that they can give to it. Yeah. I think that we need to become um, wiser citizens in our own country and realize what are we fighting for. Mm-hmm. Like like what are our priorities going to be when we go to the voting booths? Yeah. Like what what what, what kind kind of values are we meant to stand for? I think these are important things for us to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of great uh, things to reflect. I mean, one, one, thing that I would add is, you know, stay in the word, right? Continue to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And that's where our hope should truly lie when all of this chaos is going on around us, when this evil is so prevalent, when it's so uh, real, when we're seeing it to, to keep our eyes on Jesus. Any final thoughts or closing words? Nope. I'm just thankful that we got a chance to address this. There's, uh, this is a scary time for yeah. our world, but it's also an opportune time for the church to really rise up and be the hope to the nations, and in particular to Ukraine. I think this is a great opportunity for the church. Amen. Well, thank you for checking out this episode of The Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.